Hello and welcome into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. Thank you for watching us on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel and Red Voice Media, and for listening on New Hampshire Family Radio WLMW 90.7 FM Manchester, New Hampshire, KKVV Radio in Las Vegas, Real Talk 93.3 The Voice of Freedom in St. Louis, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like us on your station, email us at Taryn at WeThePatriotsUSA.org. Turbo cancers, people seemingly young and healthy that are getting cancer and aggressive forms that are coming on quickly. It seems like so many of us are hearing these stories, know people that these are that this is happening to. Even if you listen to or were at our We the Patriots USA National Conference this summer, you heard Dr. Ryan Cole speaking about these turbo cancers. He's actually been warning people about these um, ever since the vaccine rollout and on our vaccine safety awareness marathons. Well, now people are, are talking about it in, in the news and in um, the media a little bit. So I think it is important that we discuss it today. And I'm so glad to have on Dr. Harvey Risch, the Professor Emeritus and Senior Research Scientist in Epidemiology and Affiliate Faculty at Yale Institute for Global Health. And he's going to talk to us about this, why it's happening, what we should be looking for, and also giving us some hope and some reassurance as we move forward in all this, as well as talking about the work that he's doing for the wellness company and their medical emergency kits because I think it's really key that you guys and everybody listening have some baseline knowledge on how to treat themselves and their family and protect themselves at home, you know, in, in various instances, whether you don't want to go into the hospital, whether you can't go to the hospital, what have you, knowledge is power. So we're going to talk about all these things today on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. This episode is brought to you by Cardio Miracle, a vitamin D and nitric oxide solution that supports better cardiovascular and overall health for your gut, your brain, your muscles, your skin, your hair, your heart, your whole health. Learn about John Hewlett's discovery at cardiomiracle.com. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Dr. Harvey Rich, thank you so much for joining the show today. Like we talked about prior to recording that, you know, it's been three years too late to have you on the show. It's um, sorry it took us this long. Well, better late than never. I'm really happy to be with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so thrilled that you're here to ease people's minds about these turbo cancers that we're hearing about and seeing about all over social media, but also, you know, shedding some light on it and, and maybe what's happening. What is the one thing that's jumping out to you when um, people have been talking about this, this subject lately? Well, let me start with the adverse effects of the vaccines in general, and then we'll mm -hmm. talk about the cancers. These vaccines were proclaimed safe and effective as the marching order from top down to every media and government 
agency and entity. And that was essentially untrue, that the effectiveness of the vaccines was very transient. It waned, um, lasting now in the order of weeks um, to maybe a couple months, if that. And the hazards were have been totally gaslit. Now, the, the problem is for a vaccine, when you immunize hundreds of millions of people, then even the smallest non-zero adverse event rates become large numbers of people. It's not like you're giving a medicine or a vaccine to sick people who have a trade-off because they're sick from something and they could die from that versus they could have an adverse event from a vaccine. There you tolerate much greater adverse kinds of, of events. But in something that you give to healthy people, it has to have the most minuscule amount of adverse events or there's the, the harm is more is, is more extreme than the benefit. So this was never ascertained that the, the, the safety of these vaccines was not adequately ascertained in any of the trials. There were not enough people who had adverse events in the trials. And what that is telling you is that by and large, the vaccines seem safe, and I'll say what seem means in a moment, seem safe for the majority of people who've taken them. But there's a, a non-trivial number who have been harmed by these vaccines, both serious injuries that do things like prevent them from working, uh, make their life miserable, and so on, or have died from the vaccines. And even though that isn't so common, it's still not zero, and th there's appreciable numbers of people in the tens or hundreds of thousands now who have had these adverse events from these COVID vaccines. Now, the, the major, the most striking adverse event, I would say, is sudden death. These are cardiac rhythm irregularities, by and large, that are frequently, the, what they, where they occur is, is in professional athletes, people who have built up their cardiac endurance and have physiologically enlarged heart strength, so to speak. And for some reason, those people are more at risk for inflammatory damage caused by the vaccines in their hearts, in parts of the heart where the cardiac impulse that makes each beat goes through. And, the, and those are interfering with the beats. And if it happens, it's not common, but if it does happen, it, it can cause the heart to stop, which is what has been seen on the playing field, you know, for mm -hmm. substantial numbers of people, a few a week, week in, week out since the vaccine rollouts. So we don't know what the, the real number at risk are. We don't really know. The, we do know that this just does not happen that often in professional sports. We know this is happening in people who are serious non-professional athletes. Um, and so this is an anecdotal problem, but it's a real one. And we know that the vaccines cause myocarditis in somewhere on the order of a quarter of a percent of, the, of young people who get them. And one can argue exactly what that number is, whether it's one in 40 or one in 400. Uh, it, it's somewhere between those bounds. And so most of these are silent, but the damage is there, the minor damage maybe, but it's and it's measurable. And so these people are kind of at risk, but we don't know the magnitude of these risks over the longer term. And what we do know, however, is that cardiac adverse events happen pretty quickly, you know, within a few days to weeks to months after the vaccines, because it's it's an acute physiologic event. And so when they happen, it's more obvious that it's happening because of the vaccines. Cancer, on the other hand, is a disease that takes years 
to go from when the initial cancerous cells happen when they occur and when they escape from the immune surveillance system and then they grow to the point of being large enough for diagnosis. When that happens, it, it's frequently on the order of years. So the shortest growing cancers are the blood cancers, that's leukemias, lymphomas. They take about two years, two to three years to become manifest. Um, lung cancer is a little longer, but among the shortest of the solid tumors with, would be five years to become manifest. Uh, bladder cancer is 15 to 20, ovarian is 30, colon cancer is 30 to 40. So most of these, these kinds of cancers take, and breast cancer, we don't really know, maybe 10, 15, uh, it's hard to tell. So most of these cancers take a long time to occur. And that means if the vaccines are actually causing new cancers, then we're not, we won't have seen anything yet to speak of. However, there has been some unusual activity in cancers that have been noted. And so that speaks to another possibility, which is that part of human life is that our cells always want to reproduce. Remember, we got here to adult size from embryos because our cells all reproduced until we got to full size. And then the, the genetic signals told the organs they can stop reproducing. And by and large, that's the way it, it works. But cells have an, an innate ability to want to reproduce. And in fact, some of our cells are still doing that. The lining of our intestines, and it, those cells reproduce every four days. So we get new cells lining the intestines very often. The old cells go out you know, in the stool and, and we get new ones. And, and so these are reproducing all the time. And I'll let you uh, pick from there in your in your discussion on this it's making so much sense i love how you're taking us down this this timeline in just a moment here on faithful freedom with taryn gregson as we head to a break you need to stand up for the kids because it takes everyone that is the father of 16 year old ernesto ramirez jr who died five days after the shot we are highlighting this and so many other families that have lost their babies their children and their teenagers to this COVID shot in many of the ways that Dr. Rich just outlined here on today's show. We are humbled to bring you the documentary premiering on November 9th. We are announcing the premiere date and you can head over to shotdead.org where you can sign up to get the link to watch the premiere live for free from Tulsa on the one-year anniversary of the death of what would be 19-year-old Trista Martin in the hometown of Tulsa uh, with her family there present and others that are featured in this film. This is the first film showcasing the humanity behind these parents and these families of what they have lost. Please visit shotdead.org to sign up to help contribute to the film today. And we welcome back in Dr. Harvey Risch to Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson talking about these turbo cancers. And you are outlining the timelines typically for how long it, it may take a cancer, different types of cancer to develop. And then the fact that our bodies naturally, our cells want to reproduce. And so then take us from there and, and what you got, how that all relates to what you are learning now. Well, when the cells reproduce, there's a non-zero chance that a genetic error is made in the reproduction cycle. And that genetic error can sometimes unleash, unlock the cell reproduction rate 
so that the cells continue to reproduce basically haywire. And what happens when, when that occurs is that these haywire cells make unusual molecules on the surface of the cells. Because their genetics has changed, they have mutations in their genetics and they make the wrong proteins, the wrong carbohydrates. They make things that normally go on the outside of the cell that are foreign to the body, basically. And so the immune system sees those as invaders and challenges those cells, and that's called immune surveillance. Now, the problem with the COVID vaccines is we've seen that these vaccines do some degree of damage on the immune surveillance mechanism. We know this because there's evidence that the, the more of these vaccines, the more shots, doses that one has taken, the higher risk there is for actually getting COVID. This is shown in two studies from the Cleveland Clinic. The second one, looking at zero versus one versus two versus three versus four or more. And each of those steps of, of greater numbers of doses has a higher risk uh, of getting COVID. So we know that there is a change in the way the immune system is working that's changing from attack mode to toleration mode. Toleration means not being as strict and careful about the surveillance. And we believe that the same thing is happening in cancer cell surveillance. And so these cancer cells, when they occur, the immune system is less likely to detect them and take them out. And that means it's easier for them to escape the immune surveillance and grow and become tumors. This mechanism is completely plausible, but we don't know yet whether it's happening because it's been too soon to see any real increase in cancer rates. Now, Dr. Cole and I have actually discussed this a year or two ago from his experience. And it's also possible that there are some people who have real cancers that are growing in them, but they're so small that they're not detectable. And in effect, those cancers may be battling the immune surveillance system back and forth. The immune surveillance takes out one cell, but there's another that grows. And, then, and this is kind of a battle of a force for growth versus a force, force for suppression. And if the vaccines um, inhibit the ability to suppress tumors, then those cells can grow faster and become cancers sooner than they would have if the, the immune system had already been working, but still not working to stop it altogether. So like I said, these longer growth tumors take years, decades to occur, but if they're already there and already have started, then it's perhaps possible that by uh, restricting the suppression that they can grow faster or a shorter time to come to diagnosis. And that's possibly what Dr. Cole was seeing a year or two ago. Now, the question is, what else are we seeing? And while I don't know quantitative, we don't have a quantitative estimate yet of how many cancers that could be attributable to the vaccines have been occurring. And in fact, I've been misquoted on this by what I'd call the fringe reporters who, who claim that I've said billions of people will get cancer from the vaccines. I've never said that. That would be an unreasonable thing to say. We don't know the quantitative level of this yet, but we do know that these strange cancers are occurring. And what I mean by strange is what's been labeled turbo cancer, meaning cancers that are much more aggressive than oncologists are used to seeing. So these are cancers that instead of a cancer gets big enough to detect because there's a lump or discomfort in the abdomen or something like that, you go through diagnosis 
and your x-ray or MRI or, or ultrasound tell, tells you, yeah, there's a, a mass there, a lump there, and it's maybe an inch and a half across or something like that. That would be a normal way that cancer is detected. When that happens, it's more likely that the cancer is still in an early earlier stage of uh, the growth pattern of cancers after they grow large, they grow out of one organ and into adjacent organs, then they metastasize off into other places in the body. So these are those are growing into an adjacent organ is stage three, metastasizing is stage four. So normally one sees cancer diagnoses in the kind of stage two, sometimes in stage three, you know, generally because of people having symptoms getting diagnosed and that's kind of the, the paradigm for the way it works clinically. But now oncologists are seeing cancers in stage three and sometimes in stage four when they're presenting. So these cancers are growing faster than people are recognizing. And this seems unusual, at least from the oncologists reports that, that have spoken with me. So that's why these are called aggressive or turbo cancers. Uh, one oncologist said that he had seen um, a colon cancer in a 25-year-old person. As I said, colon cancer takes 30 to 40 years. This is a non-heritable, a non-genetic form of colon cancer, the non-familial form. So familial cancers are that have genetic components can take shorter times, but this was a non-familial one, but yet it occurred sooner than it would take for the whole cancer to grow in the first place. And I've seen x-rays of women with ovarian cancer where the cancer itself has filled up their entire abdomen. One never sees this. One sees smaller cancers, sometimes fluid filling up the abdomen, but not the whole cancer. So these are very unusual presentations. The oncologists are saying things like, well, we made a diagnosis uh, of the cancer and the, the treatment, first treatment was scheduled for two weeks later. And when they came back for treatment, the cancer was larger than it was when we first saw the patient. And that doesn't usually happen over such short timeframes. So these are the kinds of unusual behaviors that are making us think that there is some alteration in the normal way that cancers unfortunately occur, get diagnosed, get treated. Not necessarily that there are large numbers of cancers that are occurring. We don't know that quantitatively yet. It may yet happen, but we don't really know that yet. But that the presentations of these cancers has been very peculiar in, in numbers of cases. Yeah, it, it, that is a great way. And thank you for explaining it that way, because I think so many of us have been hearing this buzzword and, and many of us have known people, particularly younger people that have gotten, that we know that have gotten cancer since the rollout. And so it makes sense whenever you talk about it in those terms that, you know, younger people may be getting it sooner because these are, these are taking place quicker or, or for the various reasons that you're disclosing. We'll talk about this a bit more here on the other side of the break in Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. We are asking you to commit to 10 today to help us to tackle tyranny. Head to wethepatriotsusa.org and help us before it is too late, whether it's medical freedom, the Second Amendment that we are defending in the states of New Mexico and Connecticut, religious exemptions and freedoms in various states like that as well please head over to wethepatriotsusa.org. And this also helps us to power this podcast and our upcoming documentary like Shot Dead and more that we will be working on upcoming. 
Welcome back from the break to Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. Dr. Harvey Risch of the Wellness Company, and an epidemiologist with Yale, uh, talking about these these turbo cancers or giving us an explanation behind the things that um, these oncologists are seeing and we're starting to hear about, um, you know, both in our everyday lives from the people that we know and on the internet and in media and things like that, you know, talking about how these have possibly been accelerated in, in people um, that have gotten the COVID shot and um, how they're presenting sooner and they're presenting more intense and, and more um, further along in the stages of cancer. Given that you outlined at the beginning of the show how various forms of cancer can sometimes take 30 years or so to develop, do you anticipate, do we, do doctors anticipate that they will be seeing more things like this as time moves forward? Well, that's what we have to watch. We yeah. basically have to use um, statistical population-based evidence to try to estimate what kinds of cancer rates are occurring now in the, in the current era. So for example, the American Cancer Society puts out an annual brochure called Cancer Facts and Figures. And, and this estimates each year's numbers of cancer cases that will occur in males and females by each of the different organs that, that get cancer. And uh, it also has cancer mortality. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go back and look at the 2023 versus 2022 versus 2021 versus 2020 rates in cancers in various organs. That would make sense to see what's changing. But unfortunately, the data in that come from U.S. government cancer registry surveys that are only complete back currently to 2020, and so are estimated, extrapolated to future years based on patterns from before that. So there's no information about the actual occurrences in the last three years, and so that source isn't going to help very much. We're going is to that have normal? To Would, is that normal? Would you have perceived that information to be available already? Usually. Well, I'm an optimist. I've worked with the Connecticut Tumor Registry for my whole career at Yale, uh, looking at, at cancers. And this is a great registry that started in 1933. It's the oldest in the country and does a, a amazingly careful collection. Cancer is a reportable disease. So that means all of the registrations come from hospital records from people who get diagnosed and get submitted to the state for record keeping. And so I would have expected that the information would be complete more recently than that. And there may be some registries, some states like Connecticut, that have more recent completed numbers, but it's other states might be slower. And, and so it's really hard to tell what's going on. Uh, and I, it's unfortunate that our data collection in the United States just isn't all that great. And you know from COVID and all of the adverse events, how bad our, our record keeping, how bad the VAERS data system is and the other things that the CDC has done have just been dreadful from the point of view of actually managing a pandemic. Um, we'd also have insurance company and hot, large hospital databases. And these databases are, they, they exist because not for scientific reasons, but because insurance companies need to know how much and who to pay to cover the costs for why people take out the medical insurance. And so they keep very detailed records of the diseases and other aspects of the medical record. And so those databases should be more up to date and studyable. And CDC has access 
to these data and could very well have be doing this analysis right now as we speak. And yet I'm certain, just like other things that CDC has done, they will never prov provide this to the public and probably even under FOIA demand and even under court order, they will probably not provide this information to the public. Um, but that is where I think we need to go. We need to force the CDC to reveal what their raw data is for the number of cancer cases that have been occurring in each of the years that they have records for from their, their hospital and insurance databases. You know, 10 years from now, we'll probably be able to get this through alternative channels. But for right now, the only way we can probably get it is through CDC access to these databases. Which is unfortunate because 10 years um, might be, you know, too late for many people when trying to figure these things out. Um, what do you say to people who have cancer that runs in their family or they themselves have previously had cancer and, and are in remission now? Um should they be scared? Should they be worried, freaking out if they got the vaccine or even if they were surrounded by people that got the vaccine and worried about that shedding onto them and, and what that could mean for them and their, their cancer possibilities? So I'd say the shedding is not a major concern just to start with for anybody. The shedding is not the vaccine, but the spike protein that the vaccine makes the cells to make. And it's really only an issue with intimate contact within a few days of vaccination. So for most people, that, that's, it's not really an issue. Um, the people who have predisposition, predisposition to cancer or who've already had cancer, I think should consult with their oncologists as to what their risks might be if they've been vaccinated. The more doses of the vaccines they've had, the, the more the risk might be. This is, as I said, still too soon to tell. I don't know that these are big risks at all. The fact that we're seeing these anecdotal cases, people know of friends and family and acquaintances and on the internet and the media and so on where they've seen this, doesn't mean that there's that high of a risk to themselves. It might be one in 200 or something like that. I don't know that people would take any major life decisions on the basis of some risk on the order of one in 200. In a population, one in 200 out of 100 million people would be a big deal. But on, at a personal level, I don't think this is a major worry. The worries of getting killed in a car accident are probably higher than that. And, and we drive all the time. And, and so I don't think it's realistic to worry about these kinds of risks at the present time. But I think it's something you want to pay attention to. And I think it's worth being checked maybe a little more often if you've had cancer to be sure you're still in remission and for people who have major family histories. And this means not just a mother or an aunt with breast cancer. It means, for example, three or four relatives all on the same side with breast cancer or ovarian cancer, or three relatives with pancreatic cancer, all related, things like that. Those very strong family histories are the ones that matter. And those people should be checking and with their oncologists or, or genetic counselors anyway, independent of, of the vaccines. So I'm not sure that, that this really changes very much, except to say that people who've had multiple doses of the vaccines at their annual checkups should talk about this with their providers just to you know make them feel more comfortable about how to proceed and, and how to be a, a little bit more assertive you know, in, in checking themselves, being more aware of changes that they perceive in their body and any lumps 
or, or whatever that they might detect. Not all lumps are cancer, so it's that's not the issue, but you want to just be proactive for things that you detect, for pains that don't go away, for unusual feelings, all the kinds of things that might predispose to looking for cancer. You want to be a little more assertive about following those up. Are there any oncologists um, currently practicing um, that are outwardly or that you could point people to that are on board with this being a possibility of the vaccine? I mean, we know that um, so many in the medical community still have not admitted or had their eyes open to this. So if you're someone who feels like, hey, I've gotten a shot, several shots, my cancer came back, my cancer's accelerated, what have you, but I don't know what oncologist is going to take me seriously if I ask them about the vaccine. Uh, I know one or two. If people people can email me, um, I'm, I'm easily contactable. Just search, just Google Yale and Rish, R-I-S-C-H. And, uh, you know, I get a, a massive number of emails a day, but I try to respond to people. So um, I can try to refer them. I'll try to collect a few more people. I, I know of some, but they're not a lot of yet at this point. Well, thank you. I appreciate you extending that to people listening and, and extending your help to everybody that emails you. I know you get so many emails. Um, and so we appreciate that. Coming up here on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about how to help yourself at home, your family, arm yourselves with the, the proper education, knowledge, and uh, medications to treat yourself um, at home if need be. In just a moment here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. I am so excited to introduce to you the wellness company and specifically their medical emergency kit. Most people don't trust healthcare right now. In fact, over 40% of Americans say that they would avoid a doctor or a hospital unless it was a catastrophic situation. Awake doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough started the wellness company along with Dr. Harvey Risch working for them too to build a parallel system bringing desperately needed change to healthcare. Part of that change is helping you take control of your health and supporting you through what Ever the next thing is that gets thrown our way. That's where the wellness company's medical emergency kit comes in. Eight potentially life-saving medications for you to keep on hand in times of need. The kit also includes a comprehensive guidebook so you never have to guess how much to take or when to take it. If you're like me and you want to make sure your family is prepared for the unexpected, go to twc.health slash WTPUSA and use code WTPUSA to save 10% at checkout. That's twc.health slash WTPUSA, code WTPUSA for 10% off. And we welcome back in Dr. Harvey Risch to Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. I love what you and, and so many of these doctors are doing to come together for the wellness company. This is something that us as consumers, us as, as citizens that need medical assistance that we've been needing and wanting, we need um, some, some solutions outside of the mainstream medical uh, system that has basically put us into this position with how everything had been handled prior to COVID and was handled during COVID. So thank you for, for what you guys have been doing. Why was it so important for you to team up with, with the wellness company? Well, I got into working with the wellness company because of the frustration over the first year of the pandemic of not treating patients with antiviral medications that would have prevented them from being hospitalized or dying. 
already by May, June of 2020, we knew that the, the drug hydroxychloroquine cuts a risk of hospitalization in half for outpatients, cuts a risk of dying by three quarters. It's even more when it's used in um, regimens that include uh, vitamin D, zinc, uh, antibiotics, such as azithromycin or doxycycline, and other medications. Dr. McCullough and I was part of his team, worked through various formulations of how to manage COVID outpatients already in 2020. And so we already knew that these medications worked and we had a handle on this. And and I published the, the original paper showing how well hydroxychloroquine worked and how safe it is. Later on, we found out that, that ivermectin also works in the same way, all for outpatients, all when started within the first four or five days of the illness, the, of the infection, of symptoms. And numerous studies in tens of thousands of patients have all shown that these drugs are effective for doing this. So there's no doubt about it. Now, these drugs were suppressed and... The suppression has lasted to this day. The FDA has had a, a fake warning, a fraudulent warning on its website saying that hydroxychloroquine shouldn't be used for outpatients because of ir- cardiac irregularities. Well, and then below that, it says, we don't actually have any data on outpatients. We base this on hospitalized patients. No one's saying it should be used in hospitalized patients. We were saying it should be used in outpatients. And so this is why nobody trusts the FDA, the CDC, the federal government, you know, doctors in general, because all of this stuff has gone on contrary to the scientific evidence. And what happened is that this suppression percolated into medical care. So hospital and group medical practices were telling their outpatient doctors, don't prescribe hydroxychloroquine, don't prescribe ivermectin, or we're basically going to fire you. And so doctors stopped doing that. And this was absolutely the wrong thing to do, and we wanted to counter that. We wanted to provide medical care in the time of the pandemic when people were not going physically to doctors, but telemedicine was becoming uh, usable, where it's a face-to-face visit between the doctor and the patient, and a conversation and a discussion, and understanding, and informed consent, and so on, and where the doctor is free to maximize what can be done for the patient and not according to arbitrary rules of the hospital or, or whatever. And so the wellness company, the medical care, our telemedicine was was arranged to do that. And that's what we've been providing now for a year or so that we've been in the public domain for providing that kind of medical care. We've also provided supplements that we thought would be usable, especially for treating things like long COVID and uh, post-vaccine syndromes that's similar to long COVID. We have, we have supplements for that and, and other things. So this was um, a, a function that we thought was desperately needed. And in fact, one sees today that, I don't know uh, if you've seen the um, the department store, so to speak, Costco, the membership department store, has now partnered with a telemedicine company called Sesame. And Sesame, in its uh, doctor uh, agreements, says to the, the doctors have to agree to that they will not prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin for treating COVID. So there you have it. Still today, they, they still have this fake restriction on, on treating patients 
now they, they have that in spite of the fact that FDA came out in a lawsuit and said, well, we really didn't mean it that doctors couldn't prescribe hydro, uh, ivermectin. Doctors can legally prescribe ivermectin. And the Mayo Clinic has said since May of 2020 that, um, that, that hydroxychloroquine can be used in COVID patients. It's just been quiet about that, and, but it's been there on their website since May of 2020. So these things are out there and there's reason to be used and there's good evidence for them. And it's a clinician's judgment whether they should be used in a patient's agreement you know, to take that treatment if, if they agree with the doctor. And that's the way medical care is supposed to be. So that's what we're providing. And that was the rationale for the, the wellness company in the first place. And I think we're, you know, as a startup, we're doing really great. And, and I'm you know, very optimistic that this is continuing in, in great fashion. Yeah, I think that so many people um, know that they need to have an alternative way to to be the owner of their healthcare. It feels like, you know, that ownership was taken away from us um, during the pandemic. And, you know, we even, we, the Patriots USA, we defended Bill Salier, a, a previous um, U.S. military veteran who was denied ivermectin at both the Walmart and Hy-Vee pharmacies, even though it was prescribed to him by his doctor. And so we we represented him in that case. And um, yeah, it's just one thing after another. I mean, Dr. Thorpe and other OBGYNs have come on the show and talked about how they would prescribe hydroxychloroquine and uh, other situations and other various OB situations for years and years and years to pregnant patients, which is just showcasing how safe that medication is and how wide of a range it, it has for, for helping people of, of various things. Um, you know, you talked about some of the supplements and these medical emergency kits. What can people, can people only use them for COVID if they think they have COVID or what are, what are ways that these can come in handy for people? The medical emergency kits contain a number of antibiotics and antivirals that contain ivermectin uh, and some antibiotics for bacterial illnesses, some uh, anti-fungal uh, or anti-parasitic medications. And these are more or less universal, all contingency kinds of kits. Now, I would say that that's not really what these emergency kits are treating. What they're treating is people's fears that they won't be able to get these medications in time if they have to rely on getting them from a doctor in the acute time when they actually need them. And this has become probably a realistic expectation, seeing that a lot of these medications come from China or India. The supply chain was disrupted during COVID. We don't know about any further supply chain disruptions. We don't know about whether doctors would be willing to prescribe these kinds of medications in the future or not. And who knows what will happen if some new virus comes about and we need something for treatment, um, or even bacterial illnesses, for example. And so what people are doing is for the cost of these emergency kits and including a telemedicine visit for the doctor to actually prescribe them so that the patient can be evaluated to be sure that it's safe for the kits to be used, that has to be part of the system and it is, then people can have these things on hand so that if necessary, they can use them under the guidance of the doctor who prescribed them in the first place. And that's really a calmness of mind that's really what is accomplished with these kits so yes it's possible they could be used the likelihood is that many people will just have them on hand and, and be calmed by that but some people may be may find them useful and it's better to have them at the at the cost that they are for many people this is not all that expensive and worth the, the peace of mind to have this in the 
as just in case. And they have a shelf life of a couple of years or more. So, you know, it's a reasonable thing to have. Yeah, I think it's great. I think so many people um, saw that as a very real reality and a really real possibility, um, you know, in 2020 as as needing those in 2021. And like you said, even now today, they can't necessarily get um, what they need. And one more thing before we, we wrap up, you know, to, circling back to these turbo cancers and, and people that may be fearful that um, that have gotten the vaccine, the spike support that the wellness company has, is that something that you would recommend for um, maybe someone who previously had cancer and who got the shots or anybody who got the shots that are worried about what may come for them? Well, honestly, we're still in the early phase of evaluating this, the spike support and our other supplements that we've had the most usage so far in treating uh, long COVID and post-vaccine kinds of injuries. And it's been very encouraging. Dr. McCullough in his clinical practice ha has been using the spike support for two to three months and, and seeing very great um, reductions in, in the symptoms in, in many people. We are keeping records of, of patients being treated this way. And so eventually we'll have something that we can write up as a case series to look at how well these things worked and, and for different kinds of symptoms. I've had completely independent uh, information from a, a doctor who had a, a young, uh, a very active patient who discovered, very physically fit, discovered a pain in his leg that he knew wasn't a Charlie horse or a bruise, went to the emergency room and said, I know this is not a Charlie horse or a bruise, it's probably a blood clot because I've been vaccinated six months ago. And they said, it's not a blood clot, it's a Charlie horse. And he refused to leave. Seven hours later, they finally did an ultrasound on him and found, lo and behold, a 12 centimeter blood clot in his leg. And the hospital gave him anti-thrombotics, anticoagulants. He went home, took them a month later, still having pain, went back. It was now 14 centimeters, it got worse. So his, his doctor said, why don't you try this natokinase supplement and seeing if that helps. And he took that for a month and she told me, he came back and did the, the ultrasound test and it was gone, the clot was gone altogether after a month on, on this supplement. So we're optimistic, this is an anecdotal report. We're optimistic that these things are helping. We know that natokinase, which is a protein enzyme, so it's partially degraded by the, the stomach enzymes, but does get into the bloodstream in, in enough that it seems to be helpful. And, and that's what we're working with. And we're going to evaluate this as time you know, progresses and we treat patients and see how they do. Well, thank you for that anecdotal. And um, we appreciate all the work that you're doing. Where can people find you? Uh, as I said, you can find me by email at Yale and Rish, R-I-S-C-H. I also have a Telegram channel where I post things that's uh, Harvey Rish, M-D, Ph-D, and a, a Twitter channel or what an X now that's Dr. Dr. Harvey Rich. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. Great to be with you. If you enjoy our content, prayerfully consider making a tax deductible donation at wethepatriotsusa.org so we can continue to power the education arm of our mission that also extends to work to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. God bless and thank you from everyone here on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson presented by We the Patriots USA. 
As a disclaimer, We the Patriots USA does not endorse or recommend any product or service advertised on this program. We the Patriots USA is not a healthcare provider and cannot provide medical advice or treatment.